Scott. Hello, I'm Julie. And this is A Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Heck yeah. And we're, we're going to go back in time about 120 years ago. Gosh. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the Virginian is a novel <laughs> by Owen Wister uh, from 1902. And uh, possibly the first Western ever written. It's pretty much a consensus, except for, you know, those troublesome scholars who go, well, there was another one 13 years before. <laughs> but let's just say no one ever heard of that one now. So, and this one is still in print. That's, so, that's right. Also, Teddy Roosevelt loved it. And it's good. I'm yeah, sure. Teddy Roosevelt, right. In fact, there's a dedication right in the front. Um, yeah. So it's pretty clear that Teddy Roosevelt read some of it before publication even. Mm-hmm. Because it says something like, um, I, I rewrote a chapter because of what you said about it. <laughs> so something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So uh, Roosevelt was definitely part of it. <laughs> well, and he was, um, for people, I guess most people know a little bit about him, but before he became who, you know, Teddy Roosevelt to the public eye, he was a very weak, uh, frail person who had a lot of illnesses and he decided the way he was going to get over that was just by doing strength training and Hmm. going out and having adventures. And it's the opposite of what you think of where you coddle them. So they get better. He's like, no, I'm going to start doing all these things. And so he got really interested in things like going out West and hunting and which was, you know, not thought of then the way it is now. Um, Although I'm going to say he helped start the national park system to protect everything. He definitely did. Yeah. Um, but he would have been around a lot of people who are very much like the ones written about in this book for all those adventures he had before he got into politics. This would have been familiar to him. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. um, just a quick side note. I read this year, uh, or last year, a book called the bully pulpit by Doris Kearns Goodwin. And it was terrific. And I just highly recommend it. It's about uh, Roosevelt and Taft. So yeah, just throwing that out there, but recommend it. Roosevelt. Yes, okay. Teddy Roosevelt. Right. But yeah, yeah, so so he would have uh, he did a lot of that traveling, and um, he would have known what Owen Wister was writing about. So, yeah. uh, and Owen Wister apparently was a friend of Roosevelt's. Um, so you know, clearly he was uh, just sharing the pages as he wrote them. I guess <laughs> I don't something. know for sure yeah. how that happened, but uh, but it, they, they they knew each other. We know that they knew each other pretty well. So, um, but, but to ask Roosevelt, Hey, you know, you've been there. What do you think of what I wrote here? Um, makes sense to me. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I picked this after you chose true grit, the movie. Mm, That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Both are so good. And I was really interested in the idea that both of them seem very realistic and in a sense of, the setting and the activities and the people, but the attitudes of the Virginian. And when I picked it, I had read it, Oh, a couple of times, but years ago, Mm. I just remembered them as being idealized in a way that true grit isn't. And, um, and kind of spelled out more too, because it's a 1902 book. Yeah. And it's a different writing style there. But, um, well, you know, you know, you know what uh, struck you said writing style. As I was reading it, you know what it reminded me of? Mm. It reminded me of Edgar Rice Burroughs. Oh, you said that. I was like, this yeah. reads like Edgar Rice Burroughs because I had fairly recently read a couple of his Mars novels. Uh, okay. And I have read those all in the past, but I had reread a couple of Mars novels either. Well, it was last year. Last year lasted like ten years ago. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, but anyway. <laughs> Yesterday in my mind, yeah. So yeah, I read the first two, and um, you know, it starts as a western, uh, a princess of Mars. You know, so he's running around Arizona, uh, being chased by Indians, and then he ends up in a cave and all this stuff. But uh, it just felt like that, and it it was contemporary. This was uh, right around when those were written. Yeah. So I don't know if you call it pulpish or, uh, but. It was very, uh, very easy read. It, it wasn't, uh, you know, the, the fact that don't let that it's from 1902 uh, put you off on this book. Oh, no. Yeah. No. And in fact, uh, just to take another quick sidebar, mm-hmm. what's interesting about this is um, for my 
2021 book and movie challenge, I was attempting to read The Name of the Rose, mm. which is extremely dense, extremely, you want to talk about getting off track with stuff, but mm-hmm. it takes you deep into the kind of the med- medieval mindset mm-hmm. in and the concerns and the things that are popping up all around these medieval monks in this very isolated abbey as somebody's doing a Sherlock Holmes situation of um, investigating some murders. I could, I forced myself and forced myself and I finally got halfway through and went, this was a fair test. I know what the book is like. I can't even remember who got killed and I don't care anymore. And I was like, so this book is not working for me. Hmm. But at the same time I was reading the Virginian and I was going, both these books did such a good job of conveying a sense of place, mm. a way of thinking. Um, the And they were both so different from each other. It was kind of a pleasure to realize that even though, you know, you're saying this seems like Edgar Rice Burroughs, I, I think it what it seems like especially is to me, it's just, it's so American. Mm. It's so yeah. Midwestern, <laughs> Western, and and not meaning like California, that's too far. Um, but like, you know, the Big Plains way of thinking where people take some time to think about what they're going to say. They state it directly and simply. And that's a stereotype for these cowboys and kind of, I guess, for Midwestern farmers and such. But it's true. Yeah. And this kind of way of thinking and acting felt right to me. And I especially enjoyed the difference I saw between Edgar Rice Burroughs. Cause you told me that. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, but this spells some stuff out that Edgar Rice Burroughs doesn't ever bother with. He's oh, all about course, the adventure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Edgar Rice Burroughs. And this book stops and actually compares and contrasts and considers what is good about the way the Virginian is living and thinking and acting. And, um, and he, in fact, he doesn't even have a name. It's the Virginian. Yeah. Yeah. But he is, he's very idealized, even though he's not perfect, but clearly as he's working through, we're watching him mature and essentially what's happened. So since we kind of jumped the gun in a sense, but um, so um, this foreigner, well, East coast guy Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. on the train. He's coming to visit judge Henry in who lives what a couple hundred miles from medicine bow that's the closest train and he sent a trusted hand from his ranch who is the virginian to meet him and take him back and because the luggage is lost they spend a night there so you get to see the virginian among his compatriots and another day there too and um through this easterner's eyes you see who the Virginian is and he's a young man and he's pulling pranks and doing things. And as the book goes on, it shifts back and forth between that Easterner's point of view. And sometimes he's gone. And then we're seeing it from a lot of times from the school mom's point of view, Molly. And she is also from the East coast. She's from Bennington, Vermont from a celebrated family there. Who's fallen upon hard times. So she has to work and she's interested in kind of the adventure and getting away from, where she's from, but because she still is proud of her family and clings to it, she winds up being courted by the Virginian and she really has a hard time reconciling the way he thinks and acts with both her idea of, I guess, who she should be socially and who he is socially and how do you judge people outside of that? And then also what is this different way of thinking that's so direct and, um, not being conventional. Hmm. Do you think that's fair? I do very much. Yep. Yeah. Very well and put. So it's, yep. it's really, yeah. And so as we go, um, there's somebody who is the Virginian's mortal enemy and he is the worst. <laughs> Cause we're not messing around with in-betweens. Well, there are some mm, in-betweens yeah. actually, but he is Trampus, the worst. Trampus, Trampus, right. <laughs> uh, Just can't stand him. Yep. And uh, the Virginian's pretty noble, but eventually you got to take care of business. And um, anyway, so it's it's about his courtship of this young lady. It's about the Easterner discovering this area of the country 
through the Virginian and it's about how he deals with things like Trampas and like being trusted by judge Henry as he matures and grows, yeah. goes on with his life. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. Yep. It's a classic. Western, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's terrific. Yeah. Very, you know, that was a great summary. And, oh, good. Uh, yeah. And, uh, just, uh, along the way, like you said, there's a lot of looking around, um, especially at the very beginning, um, you know, you can liken it to an epic fantasy in a way, because this writer was writing, I assume, for the people that were out east. Yes. And he was saying, this is a new place, and it is amazing, and I'm going to linger, and I'm going to talk about what it looks like. I'm going to talk about how there's no eggs out here. You know, I'm going <laughs> to just just all these incredible details, things that he, he just yeah. talks about that... Uh, you know, it's like he is world building uh, from reality, right? And he, you know, some of it definitely idealized, but um, and then this idea that um, we have left society, but we're bringing society with us at the same time. That you always yeah. get in these westerns. Yeah. It's like it's mm-hmm. up to us to keep this together and have laws and basic, you know, all that other stuff. It's up to us to to do all those things, whereas you folks back in the cities, you have police and you have all this other stuff, uh-huh. you know. Um, so yeah, it's and and then he talks about the country as a whole too. Um, yes. Yeah, it's like this is the philosophy of the country, you know, and uh, he even throws that stuff in there. Well, that's the thing, and that those are the places where um, you're getting better um, looks into what people think because he's making points that are philosophical ways to live. Mm, yeah, you know, how is it that you live um, according to your internal conscience? And he talks about stuff like that, and you don't get that in Edgar Rice Burroughs. And so this book is kind of. It's different in that way. No, it's, and, it's not. Yeah, Edgar Rice Burroughs is not this at all. And no, and I would isn't. say that he's presenting the Virginian as a model way to be. Yes, and that's what I like is, you know, True Grit was much more nebulous. Mm-hmm. When I said I have to really dig to think about what it's about, and that's not a bad thing, but it's a modern thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in this, <laughs> there is no doubt because it has to be spelled out, especially to this girl who's trying to figure out, but I don't like the way you did this. And I mean, at one point, uh, Judge Henry has to go over and go, let me give you some examples of how the, the Virginian acted that was honorable compared to you hearing a word and having a knee jerk reaction. And I thought, wow, this is more modern than I thought. Mm, yeah. You know, um, there's, I guess we're in spoiler territory. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. This book is from 1902. So I didn't know that there would be a spoiler territory. <laughs> I don't know. Had you read it? No, I had not. I had not. Did you but know I happen? Did I know? Yeah, kind of. Oh, so you knew about the big thing at the end? I, well. That she was going to leave him if he did it and no, what happened? No, no, no. And I mean, okay, not specific. So spoiler territory now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's a Western. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a Western. <laughs> and there's a lot of things that yeah. come. Yes, there's the there's the big uh, gambling uh, uh-huh. scenario. There's right. the big, uh, there's the roundup. There's the, there are cattle wrestlers. There are and, traveling, um, yeah. Yeah. There but are was, hangings. There are, right. <laughs> there's a bad guy. There is a showdown. There is oh, cards. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. all that stuff. And there's a romance. Yeah, oh, yeah. so much romance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which um, is an element of Westerns, and I, I don't know that it really registered with me that it was an element of Westerns, but mm-hmm. um, coincidentally, I, I recently read a Louis L'Amour novel, oh, um, and yeah, it was a romance. It was uh, his name, it, the book was called Conager. Okay. And uh, it's it was excellent, you know, it's a, you know, less than 200 page, probably 150 page novel, you know, he's got hundreds of them. Um, oh, but yeah, it's just like, oh, I just picked it up and read that. And I was like, oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. And it, and I would say Louis L'Amour really follows in the footsteps of the Virginian in terms of his heroes are upright. His villains are terrible. There's always a true hearted woman somewhere. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, 
they're more modern in that he's not spelling out a lot of stuff that the Virginian does spell out. And I think that's where it's a bit more old fashioned. Yeah. But, um, and I prefer his short stories to his novels. The novels oh, I've nice. tried. I haven't yeah. actually read those. That's, oh my gosh. that's cool. Yeah. I'll check that out. So many short stories. <laughs> yeah. And there's a Kindle book that has like seven volumes of them all put together. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. that's great. But yeah, so. so yeah, Louis Lamour is standing on the shoulders of people like Wester. You know, he's, it, oh. it's a, it, by the time Louis Lamour gets to his, you know, 20th novel or whatever, he's, he's, you know, standing on things that the re, his readers have a common starting point, yeah. right? For Wister, they did not have a common starting point and right. he was starting from scratch, right? Right. And he influenced all kinds of people like, um, oh, Zane Gray is another name that most people know. Yeah. Um, who I think of. It's uh, People always mention Writers of the Purple Sage when you talk about the Virginian. They're, oh, and another one I loved. Mm. And I like Zane Gray, okay, but he's no Louis Lamore, surprisingly. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, mm. but this one to me, I like older fashion books, even though this feels fairly modern. Mm-hmm. Um the uh, one of the things I was going to say when you talked about how the book is written, I was surprised at how lyrically it's expressed sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so he says um, he's talking about the the English uh, the Easterner. I'm sorry, they call him the Englishman because he's very fancy, and so the cowboys make fun of him, and that's his nickname. And um, so I keep getting that mixed up with the Easterner, but anyway. Um, he's talking about how amazing the places he wound up. And he says, town, as they called it, pleased me the less the longer I saw it. But until our language stretches itself and takes in a new word of closer fit, town will have to do for the name of such a place as was Medicine Bow. I have seen and slept in many like it since. Scattered wide, they littered the frontier from the Columbia to the Rio Grande, from the Missouri to the Sierras. They lay stark, dotted over a planet of treeless dust like soiled packs of cards. Each was similar to the next, as one old five-spot of clubs resembles another. Houses, empty bottles, and garbage, they were forever of the same shapeless pattern. More forlorn they were than stale bones. They seemed to have been strewn there by the wind and to be waiting till the wind should come again and blow them away. Yet serene above their foulness swam a pure and quiet light, such as the East never sees. They might be bathing in the air of creation's first morning. Beneath sun and stars, their days and nights were immaculate and wonderful. Hmm. Beautiful. I highlighted a different passage that kind of covers oh. some of the same territory, oh, um, but good. but also lyrically put. Um, Here were lusty horsemen ridden from the heat of the sun and the wet of the storm to divert themselves a while. Youth untamed sat here for an idle moment, spending easily its hard-earned wages. City saloons rose into my vision, and I instantly preferred this rocky mountain place. More of death it undoubtedly saw, but less of vice than did its New York equivalents. And death is a thing much cleaner than vice. So yeah, it's just yeah, he's he's got a just a good way to put in stuff. Yeah, and and in fact that's a perfect passage to read because a, so much of what we're seeing as the story progresses is comparing east to this west where, you know, people might pull pranks but they're not mean-spirited. They're not I mean, you know, like the thing switching the babies. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> of course that's the first thing that popped in my head. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, oh gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the school mom is there. She's new. And um, there's a bit of a history between her and the Virginian, but nobody will acknowledge it because it was a sudden rescue from danger, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And um, so he's mad because she won't dance with him. And his friend, uh, McLean, Lynn McLean, <laughs> also is mad because the same reason. So they're in there in the kitchen. And all the babies are on the table, <laughs> under the table, stacked in corners, sleeping. All the parents are out dancing. And one of them's like, oh, this guy specifically put his twins over here so she'd know in a hurry when she she could just pick them up and go. And they're like, huh. 
That's the only way they're going to identify them is by the clothes. And I like to think of these cowboys. They then take the clothes off all the babies and move the babies around and redress them. <laughs> <laughs> and all the parents, and I'm like, this doesn't seem right. But all the parents just kind of dash in at the end of the night, grab the kids, and go. <laughs> oh, it's <laughs> too funny. Two days sorting yeah. babies out across these miles and miles uh, of plains. Too um, good. Too good. Yeah. yeah. So funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, just, just great. But yeah, the, this this uh, difference between the East and the West, um, you know, that that struck me too because I I lived for 15 years in a small town in Idaho. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, and this attitude exists very much. When, when I was reading it, I was like, oh, that's like my wife's brother. Oh, that's okay. like you know uh, the, oh. the, these folks that are dealing with cows and and uh, riding horses, well, four wheelers most often nowadays, but yeah. uh, but you know herding cows with four wheelers happens all the time, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's it's just an attitude, and um, this this whole east west tension, you know, um, just to to mention politics just briefly, when mm-hmm. you when you look at politics in the United States. It's it's urban versus rural. When you Let's look at the map of who votes for who, it's like uh, the Democratic areas are all the cities, and the rest of the whole country, which has mm-hmm. less people when you add it all together, but uh, is is uh, Republican. You know, mm-hmm. so it, there there's a difference in what our needs are and what our attitudes are, um, and uh, that still exists. So what he's talking about here a hundred years ago. Um, as this east-west tension uh, really does yeah. exist. They're two different places almost. A lot of how this is conveyed in the book, I think, is true, and you could speak to this more than me, um, is true just in the ways that they kind of joust with each other, I guess you'd mm. say, the ways they get the best of each other, the way they win bets, mm-hmm. the way they... Um, instinctively understand each other and if you're from outside that group you it's easy to put your foot wrong yeah yeah by not kind of just observing and seeing what's going on so that's one of the the most famous line out of the book is when you call me that smile (laughs) yeah which is it's a line that i feel like i've seen a hundred times but i'm guessing it came from here you know when when i saw that i was like wow this is the place Right. That's so yeah. Cool. So yeah, mm-hmm. the um, one of the first things is getting into what this society is like, and they're at a rooming house, and all these people know each other. They're coming and going, and um, all these people, the Easterners, stunned. He's like, people will call him an sob, mm. but they're laughing while they do it, and they know him. And he's like, well, I just can't believe they're using that language to him, <laughs> and he's taking it, and then some outsider does it. And thinking he's going to be super familiar and friendly with him, and he, the Virginian doesn't like him, and that he's gone too far. Yeah, he's put his hand I on have his gun. That highlighted right here. Yeah, the oh, Virginian's please. pistol came out, and his hand lay on the table, holding it unaimed, and with a voice as gentle as ever. The voice that sounded almost like a caress, but drawling a very little more than usual, so that there was almost a space between each word. He issued his order to the man Trampas. When you call me that, smile. <laughs> and he looked at Trampus across the table. So yeah, that's what happens when you call someone a, a son of a bee, in uh, yeah. <laughs> and you're not in the in group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If if you say it with malice, you get the pistol to come out. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that was Trampus. So from the beginning, yeah. mm-hmm. we're introduced to this edginess between them right right yeah and and um as time goes on in the book you know the virginian uh he gains rank as it were through his Mm -hmm. little organization you know his boss keeps promoting him and stuff and and in the meantime you know it's a contrast with trampas who is unfocused you know is believes stories about gold convinces other people that, hey, we ought to go look for this gold. It'll be a better job. And mm-hmm. uh, the Virginian is stable and sees the value in what he's doing and uh, actually tries to convince a lot of people to stay at one point and actually succeeds. And Trampus hates him because of that, too, because people naturally follow the Virginian 
and uh, Trampus has to kind of lie and cajole to get people to follow him. But yeah. he does it, and 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 there's gullible, a gullible kid especially that that ends up following. Yeah, he follows Trampus, and the Virginian is tried really hard. He's like, "This is what you got to do, man. This is what you got to do." But the kid followed Trampus anyway. Yeah, you know, he says, "You are so talented at this one thing. If you just focus on that thing, you're gonna just be you're gonna be rich out here." And he's like, but he's "No, but there's a better stupid. job over there." Yeah, so. Well, he's yeah. stupid and easily led, and it kind of shows that not everybody is um, the Virginian because you know all the other cowboys are fairly nebulous. They understand him; they're friends. They're not as good as he is at all these other things. Mm-hmm. Um, not quite as trustworthy, maybe not quite as good at managing things, which is why he's continually being promoted and trusted with greater. Um, responsibility, which makes him very proud and determined yeah. to do it. And Trampus is always attacking that. And when Trampus can take Shorty away and ruin his prospects, he knows that hurts the Virginian more than anything. So he does it. And I have to say, there is a chapter in this that I was so horrified the first time I read it. And I can't, I just skip it every time I come to it. And that's mm-hmm. the one about where Shorty sells Pedro to Balaam. Oh, that's a heartbreak. Oh, it was and uh, yeah. I'm not sure why it's even in there, except that it does illustrate how simple Shorty is. Yeah, yeah. Um, when he comes back at the end, um, yeah, it's like you know everybody's trying to find their fortunes, and and um, it, it's almost like again this East-West tension, where in the East everybody's trying to make money, right, and out here in the West. They're bringing that with them, you know? So it's it's a heartbreak for Shorty to train this horse and then sell it. And you he know, loves especially, the horse. Yeah, the he horse loves the horse that. so much, you know? But to sell it to who he sold it to for money, it just feels like it's out of place right there, you know? Um, yeah. There, there's one one other line that has that tension in it. The, the narrator says, what world am I in? I said aloud, does this same planet hold Fifth Avenue? Oh, yes. Uh, I loved that line. It's like, I'm here, but this has nothing to do with over there, you know, but they're like bringing there with them. And I think that that might be part of the tension is what the author was showing there is, you know, that's business, you know. Um, and, and he's, you know, uh, Shorty feels like he needs to be doing business to impress people or for whatever reason. But he went right against what he knew in his heart and everything well, and, and sold yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it also shows how easily persuaded he was and he just didn't have a very big attention span and he didn't have a big imagination. I mean, and then uh, the thing that's hard is they show this guy who everybody, he's infamous for how poor, how he treats animals, how Mm. badly he treats animals. And that's the worst thing you can do to all these people. They're all like, don't ever do that. Oh, ugly. And, um, so we're shown what he does with this horse and it's, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, why do I mean, I guess this is reality. And so this is part of the East versus West thing that they're living in a real world. That's closer to the basics than all the people who are in the cities, you know, um, all these consequences, these actions, uh, lead to these harsh consequences. Mm hmm. And um, and people aren't always nice, and you have to pay attention. And I mean, that's part of what's so hard when he's courting um, the schoolmarm is she's applying all the East Coast judgments that she thinks she'll receive if she went home with this cowboy. You right. know, yeah, yeah, does like him, and he is smart. I mean, she's she's uh, reading books that she gives him. And making intelligent comments on them and that sort of thing. And actually, it's showing how she's not as discerning as she could be because she loves, is it Emma? And she loves some other book like Middlemarch or some, <laughs> you know, a couple of books that just aren't going to appeal to a man as much. And he brings them, he brings them back to her at one point unread. Um, right. But, but it's cool that he's, he's like, uh, this is important stuff. And he, he is learning how to read and, you know, he is teaching mm-hmm. himself, you know, while, even when she's not there mm-hmm. to, uh, to read and write. Yeah. yeah. It's like when I could read Shakespeare for, uh, myself, then I knew that I could 
just read. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's funny though because he's judging Shakespeare too. He's going Romeo and Juliet. That guy, that kid's <laughs> family were not doing their job. <laughs> and you're just like, oh my gosh, he just stripped away. He said, he the- said Romeo is no man, right? Yeah, his friend. <laughs> You know, I think is yeah. in him. He's okay. <laughs> and then there was another one. Oh, he goes Othello. What was even the point of that? No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. Oh my god. But he likes yeah. he likes some of the other ones. Like he likes is it Henry V? Yeah. Yeah. His, you know, with uh, the the prince was okay, and his father was pretty good, or Henry IV, whatever it was, and um, even liked Falstaff pretty well. And I loved when he read Kenilworth, and he goes. That Queen Elizabeth, she could have stood up in a poker game. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. She could have beat Queen, Queen Victoria in a poker game easy, <laughs> based on what I read in this book. <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh, that's too I good. I love it. Oh, I love that, too. This would have played a mighty powerful game of poker. <laughs> oh, man. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. Um, yeah. And religion was interesting out there too. You know, they had, uh, uh, pastors come, come and go and stuff and, um, churches out there. Um, at one time he was talking to somebody and I have a highlight. He says one God and 15 religions was his yes. reflection. <laughs> That's a right smart of religions for just one God. <laughs> oh, too good. He says, the way of reducing it was, if obvious to him, so novel to me that my laugh evidently struck him as a louder and livelier comment than was required. He turned on me as if I had somehow perverted the spirit of his words. I ain't religious. I know that. But I ain't unreligious. And I know that too. So, good stuff. Well, because then he takes it down to the basics. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is what we should all do on the, under those circumstances where doesn't he say something like, are there 15 kinds of good men? Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Do you think there ought to be 15 varieties of good people? That's His it. voice, while it now had an edge it could cut anything it came against, was still not raised. Yeah. There ain't 15. There ain't two. There's one kind. And when I meet it, I respect it. It's not praying nor preaching that has ever caught me and made me ashamed of myself. But one or two people I have known that never said a superior word to me. They thought more of me than I deserved, and that made me behave better than I naturally wanted to. Made me quit a girl once in time for her not to lose her good name. And so there's one thing I have never done. And if I ever I was to have a son or somebody I set store by, I would wish their lot to be no one or two good folks mighty well. Men or women, women preferred. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, and um, it's funny because a lot of that comes up also in the contrast between East and West. In um, there's a bishop, he's a traveling bishop, Mm -hmm. and he comes around and he'll do, you know, weddings and whatever needs to be done then. But he'll also come out to the ranch to see Judge Henry, who's very respected, and and he'll talk to the guys and, you know, do a sermon or whatever. But (laughs) it's in a way that the cowboys understand. And then this Mm -hmm. one guy comes who is a well-known theologian and uh, (laughs) minister and he thinks he is so fantastic. And what he does is talk about how awful everyone is. Mm, yeah. You're descended from Adam. You're degenerate. You don't have a hope. <laughs> you have to cling to the Lord. who will give you the only chance you have. And all those cowboys later are going, I think I'll just show how bad I can be. Mm, I love it. I don't need I love a guy it. to tell me how to be good. <laughs> I'll show him. Yeah. They hate him. Right. And he says, <laughs> uh, he says, I'll tell you this. A Midland doctor is a poor thing, and a Midland lawyer is a poor thing, but keep me from a Midland man of God. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, amen. I was just thinking of the uh, uh, what Judge Henry says. He's talking about that guy, and he says, no, you have to try to treat men like brothers. Hmm. That's when you can get somewhere. And it made me think of Jesus, of course. He's when eating with the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the Pharisees and even the disciples are outside watching uh-huh. because you're not allowed to go in those places. And he's yeah. like, but if I think more of you than you are, I, because he knows the potential of each person and that's, he treats them yeah, that way. That's, that's Zachari- Wasn't it Zachariah was the short guy who was in the tree, the real yeah, rich guy? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I highlighted this part, I think, um, that you're talking about. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's beautiful. So he says, um, the whole secret broke off judge Henry lies in the way you treat people. As soon as you treat men as your brothers, they are ready to acknowledge you if you deserve it as their superior. Yes. That's the whole bottom of Christianity. And that's what our missionary will never know. Yes. Good stuff. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. That's Judge Henry. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Who's the one who's sent to explain to her when she's like, you guys lynched somebody? And they're like, well, and Judge Henry has to go because these were the cattle rustlers. There's no way to get them to justice. They're out in the middle of nowhere. And these guys have, they're repeat offenders. And the thing I like is it shows the toll it takes on the Virginian soul. Big time. And, and not only that, but one of these guys was somebody he knew. Well, yeah. we met him at the beginning of the book. Right. It's yeah. who you like. And he tried to warn Steve. And when he's unconscious and delirious from the Indian uh, injury, he's like, Steve, I have lied for you. So he really invested in this friendship. And Steve wouldn't listen and kept, you know, cattle wrestling. And eventually... It's broken off, but Steve wouldn't even talk to him or look mm, at him. Yeah. And that's what he can't reconcile is that Steve was blaming him for doing something that was right until they find that piece of newspaper where Steve had written the message. Yeah, yeah. That Jeff, I I yeah. couldn't have talked to you. I would have been like a baby. <laughs> He's like, ah. Oh. And that was heavy, heavy stuff. And then uh, Molly's reaction to that, too, was, uh, yes. again, part of this East-West thing that you were talking about where she's got the East in her head and out there in the West applying these rules that don't apply um, or apply differently in a way. Because they're having to apply frontier justice, and it is just. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not unjust. Right. And um, and it's not done with glee. <laughs> Obviously, right. he is just agonizing over it, right? But it it was yeah. the thing, you know, that's the, they were alone out there. This is what, you know, this is the justice. Somebody's got to keep the law. And, and mm-hmm. what's good about the author is he knows how hard this is to understand. And he wants to make sure everybody gets it. So Molly hears about it and she's just like, oh, well, that's it. And so Judge Henry goes over, Mrs. Taylor, who lives near... Uh, Molly hmm. says, oh, well, you know, she's like, oh, this isn't fair. So she, uh, is it her husband? Anyway, she gets word to Judge Henry. He's like, oh, dang, I don't want to interfere, but I got to talk about this. So he goes over and says, look, you're using the word lynching. And that's not like, you know, the word lynching you're used to as burning Negroes in the South and taking them out of jail mm. and killing them. And, and that's awful. Yeah. And it yeah. never happened. Mm-hmm. He's like, this is different. Mm -hmm. This isn't the same thing. He goes, they're being taken. He goes, when that happens in the South, they're being taken away from the law where they should be protected so they can go through regular systems. He goes, here, there is no law. And he's like, and I liked the way he traced back and said, so judge law comes from the, the constitution. It comes from the courts. It comes from, and he traces back, but who gave the authority to all those people in the first place? Well, it was the people. Well, those things aren't here. So the people have to ex- exercise that authority themselves. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, that was interesting. That big legal um, support mm-hmm. he gave for that. And so she would, she didn't like it, but she would accept it. Mm-hmm. But it was telling, I think, that she kept worrying that when she brought him home, he, you know, people would think he was, you know, a hick or you know, <laughs> she made the mistake showing him his picture and all his stuff. <laughs> oh, yeah. Her aunt. Yes. You know? And I'm amazed at how much traveling everybody does in this. I wonder, yeah. if, that, I wonder if that was typical. Because it wasn't minor to, to go somewhere. It was like, you know, Molly is like going east and west and east and west. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's like every time she does that, isn't that like a month? You know, well, yeah, because she's staying there for a few weeks, right? And, and it's like, wow, you know, this is like I always feel like, you know, uh, to to go from Wyoming to uh, I forget where she was, uh, it, but it had to have taken weeks, weeks to do that. It's not like, 
it's not like getting in a car and driving a couple of days. So, well, I think that for a certain class of people, for sure, you could do that much traveling. And I think the other thing is we forget how much traveling people could do because I have this book. It's such an entertainingly written book. It's called, gosh, I think it's called Travel in the Ancient World. It's from the 1950s or something. And it talks about how, you know, you think of Greece and Rome and Egypt and you think, oh, all these people just huddled in their little villages. No, (laughs) they were all over the place. (laughs) They were traveling. That's why they were on these big roads. They did all, everybody started using them. And they're like, there's even um, examples of people going to see the pyramids in Egypt and people drawing little Egyptian things. So it's like the postcard you buy Uh at the gift shop. So this is back in the time of Jesus and before. Yeah. yeah. So this happened then too. Yeah. Um, fascinating. That's great. But yeah, but I brought that up because uh, of her aunt, her great aunt. Mm-hmm. So just what you're saying, you know, so Molly brings a photo back to her aunt and shows her photo and she's just, you know, like, wow, he can't wear that here. <laughs> well, yeah, her yeah. family is the worst except for one brother-in-law uh-huh. and her aunt who's, yeah. they've got the stuff, but. Right. And the great aunt was disappointed in love, so she's very, she's like, oh, I could have had that. Oh, yeah. I wasn't brave enough. <laughs> um, and then when they do marry, uh, he he goes back east with her, you know, to meet mm-hmm. everybody. And it's, you know, again, it's that's not a minor thing. You know, but they, they go uh, out east and then meet everybody and then uh, go back home. So. Well, I like when they said people were watching and they were real disappointed just to see a tall man in a straw hat get off the train because <laughs> he knew. He was like, I'm not getting embarrassed. Don't worry. Um, well, I like also, it's funny because she is so busy thinking about um, what people will say. And then when she doesn't want him to meet Trampas, Trampas gives the ultimate challenge. And it's basically a showdown at sunset. You know, guns blazing. And you're just like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, he put everything in this book. But it's interesting because, for one thing, it shows us inside Trampas's head. Hmm. And which you've never seen otherwise. You can almost, not quite, because I remember Shorty. But you see how pitiful he is and what he's down to. And then you see the Virginian. The Virginian is struggling because somebody immediately went and told Molly because they're in town because they're going to get married the next day yeah yeah and she's saying no no let's leave let's leave and he's like oh i can't leave everybody <laughs> no who cares what they say and i'm like you're the one who because what they said about a picture you wouldn't date him even come on for sure but, yeah yeah and so he says um who would think you were a coward she says everybody my friends would be sorry and ashamed and my enemies would walk around saying they had always said so i could not hold up my head again among enemies or friends and she says, when it was explained, he says, there'd be nothing to explain. That'd just be the, there'd just be the fact. He was nearly angry. There is a higher courage than fear of outside opinion, said the New England girl. Her southern lover looked at her. Certainly there is. That's what I'm showing in going against yours. And I'm like, oh, zing, inexorable logic. And he's right. And then when she says, I have to say... When she says, all right, well, then I won't marry you. And he's like, oh, no. Well, all right. You know, because he is going to live by his principles no matter what. Yeah. And then when he, when he comes back, this is the best part of the book, you guys. <laughs> when he comes back and he says, um, I have killed Trampas. And she goes, oh, thank God. And throws herself <laughs> into his arms. <laughs> um. like, I've forgotten that. Yay. <laughs> like, I give it up. Uh, And they they point out later, they said, you know, she never really understood him fully, but she loved him so much. mm -hmm. And it's like, and that was really proven by the moment when he came back ready to give her up because he would do what she wanted. And she didn't ask it of him. Yeah. She, she sacrificed herself or um, surrendered herself to him. Went, I'm not going to live up to that. Nope. (laughs) Yes. Yes. No. So good. Yeah. There's something else. Um, Earlier, you were saying a prayer to St. Scholastica. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or or about her. Anyway, anyhow, Mm -hmm. it's quoting the scripture, love is patient. Love is patient, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
that we all know. Mm-hmm. And that was so uh, brilliant, I think, because I didn't realize until you said that his love, the Virginian's love for Molly, exemplifies all those things. He is so patient. He won't let her get away with her own silly ideas because there's one point where she goes, can't we just go on like this? Just we go for rides and talk. And Mm. he's like, "Um, I thought this was perfectly phrased. You might as well ask fruit to remain green. (laughs) It's like, you're not getting the good part, honey. Mm -hmm. The good part is the full love between us. Yes, yes. Um, You just, you're being silly. And But as we're watching him come along at one point, he says, "Um, you know what? I was being selfish. I said, I'd make you love me, but if that's really not good for you, I'm going to give it up. I don't Mm. know what I'll do, but I'm not going to demand it. And she's like, oh, wait, no, hold on. (laughs) But she's doing it in response to him. He is self-sacrificing on her behalf. He's honest, even when it hurts. Mm -hmm, I mean, he's mm -hmm. all those things. And I hadn't really thought about it in terms of, he is a wonderful example of a, a man the way men used to be characterized in the best way. Mm. We've lost a lot of that. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, he is tough. He can hold his own. He, he, he can learn and everything, but down deep, he wants to do what's right. And he will apply his principles for the betterment of others. I mean, yeah. what else could you ask for? Yeah, for sure. And he's so good looking. Well, (laughs) we know that we know that from the very beginning. Um, What was that? There was a scene where he was leaving on a train, and the narrator noticed the 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 inn owner, or I think it was somebody who owned the inn. Wife of the yeah, isn't it the wife of the tavern owner? And she was like. I like that guy. Yeah, that was good. Wouldn't talk to anyone. She gave everybody the cold shoulder, but Uh not him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was good. Oh my gosh, a married woman. (laughs) He's like, oh, he was brushing a couple of dark hairs off of his. uh, (laughs) They're leaving. I'm like, kiss. My goodness. Oh, that's too good. That's too good. (laughs) Because they say in there, they say he, you know he's had his moments too. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's a young man and learning. And he says, you know, there was a good person who once talked to him through talking to him. You read that part where he's like, I left a girl with her honor. Basically. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. He's the, he's the guy, he's the guy you want to be for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the other fun things for me about this book is how close it was to where I live. I noticed um, that. I- Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I grew up in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and they're talking about Jackson Hole and Wyoming, and so I've been all these places. Um, but yeah, it's like, this in due time, built cabins, took wives, begot children, and came to speak of itself as the honest settlers of Jackson's Hole. But Jackson <laughs> Hole, Wyoming is just super famous place. That's where Clint Eastwood uh, fought in every which way but loose. <laughs> and that's why it's famous, right? But yeah, beautiful, beautiful country. Unbelievable. When you go up to the Tetons, uh, Uh, can't recommend that higher. Yeah. The mountains were so tough that that's where the worst outlaws could go and and live for a while until everybody kind of forgot them. And then they come out and go to Jackson Hole where they all respectable. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely right. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. I just assume that you've not lived in those mountains, Scott. <laughs> I have not. Okay. I have slept in them, though. I have I have, huh? I have camped. Um, but yeah, really good stuff. Um, I love this line. You know, this is just uh, sticking out there, uh, not attached to anything. But in gatherings of more than six, there will generally be at least one fool. And this company <laughs> must have numbered 20 men. <laughs> <laughs> Just funny. I just, this book, except for that one chapter, and even that, if you remind yourself, as I had to halfway through the first time I read it, was this is all made up. Uh, It's just awful. Yep, yep. (laughs) Or Pedro. But, (laughs) or Pedro. But um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's just 
a good story and along the way there's all this other good stuff in it like a like a good western is yeah nice to read stories that are inspirational like that i mean it's almost in that sense like the lives of the saints where you read it and mm-hmm. go oh i want to be a better person yeah I, I felt that way at the end of this too i felt that way i was like oh yeah yeah this virginian guy he knows yeah. what he's doing yeah 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 and, and it does make you want to it makes you want to be better yeah. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, and, you know, sadly, as I say, I think our culture has lost a lot of those ideas of what true masculinity is mm-hmm. and um, it epitomizes those. But also, women also have lost a lot of their role models for <laughs> stuff like that. And so I also found a lot of it inspirational just in terms of, um, uh, you know, sticking to what you say, mm-hmm. going with the truth. I mean, there's things that apply to anybody who reads it, really. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. 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 And he established a whole genre. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I enjoyed the heck out of that Louis L'Amour novel, too. I can see myself just picking up a handful of those and reading one now and then. Um, those old paperbacks. <laughs> well, I have the uh, that Kindle 7 volumes of short stories on mm-hmm. my yeah i have it on my kindle and every so often i'll just go uh oh, i need something easy to read but good uh-huh and I'll just pop the i'm halfway through the like the third book oh, of that's cool yeah stories in there and i i'll read a few and i'll go oh that's enough for now but it just uh-huh. kind of charges you up yeah nice wow well, that's yeah. great that's great i'm gonna look into that i just really Enjoyed it. You know, I, again, I would kind of compare it to an epic fantasy in a way. Um, we're uh, world building. We're seeing a whole different place. Characters are yeah, moving in that epic, world. But certainly a good fantasy. Yeah, right. And um, um, and uh, like we've said here, yeah, the Virginian is someone to be emulated, and I think that's what the author yeah. was trying to present. Yeah, it's it's an inspirational book for me. And every so mm-hmm. often it's one of those that I come back to. I guess that's a list we'll have to work on and put uh-huh. on that book page sometime. But <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, good. Um, yeah. And speaking of lists, what we oh, did, yeah. we put together this time was a basics of Catholicism list. Uh, oh, we yeah. added that to our book page. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, please check it out. Yeah, our favorite books we recommend or give to people just who are like, what's the faith about? Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, cool. And uh, where are we at next? A Ooh. new leaf is where we're at next. Yes. This is a movie <laughs> that no one's ever heard of, and it's yes. so good. Oh, good. I, I have not heard of it, I don't think. Walter Matthau, Elaine May. Ooh, uh, Walter Matthau. Awesome. Are you? Are you there? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. It's just it's. I picked it because I thought, oh, it'll be in February. It won't be next to Valentine's Day, but close uh-huh. enough. And um, it's just it is such a fun, silly comedy, and there are surprising things in it. I think. Oh, exciting! So, oh, I love Walter Matthau. I love yeah. him. Oh that yeah, is great. And Elaine May is. She wrote this movie, and then she is great in this part. Oh, and great. I think she directed it too. Mm-hmm. Now that I think about it, so yeah. Very good, cool. Very much looking forward to that. <laughs> nice. All right. Yep. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for this book. I'm so happy to have read it. I'm so. Uh, yeah, and um, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, yep. everyone. In a couple weeks, everyone. <laughs> bye bye. Thank you.